This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan along with you. It's been a long time coming for this episode, a lengthy break uh, for many reasons, but we are back and uh, hopefully better than ever um, as we uh, cover a very, very busy time in uh, in Minnesota sports. Uh, Matt, we're going to talk a lot of Vikings, little twins today as well. Uh, should be fun. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right. Uh, earlier today, we're recording this on a Sunday, uh, first Sunday of training camp. And, um, you know, appropriately so on a Sunday, uh, they the Vikings got the Daniil Hunter situation taken care of. Uh, $17 million guaranteed on a one-year deal. Could be up to $20 million. Uh, they have a no tag clause in there for next year, so they can't franchise tag him. And Daniil will be a free agent at the end of the year. Seems like a good uh, resolution for both sides. And uh, Matt, just quickly on this, we were talking off air. Uh, this really had to happen if you wanted to compete as much as possible in 2023, while also you know keeping maximum flexibility. As seems to be the theme for Quasi Adolfo Mensa and company right now. Yeah, I mean, everyone knew that he wasn't uh, going to play out this year on the current contract. They had to do something. And I have no doubt they probably shopped him just to see if someone was willing to overpay for a guy with a an unbelievable amount of talent, uh, but an injury history. And I think he hit the nail on the head. This allows them to continue to do the competitive rebuild. Uh, not have too much turnover on that defense, keep your best defensive weapon uh, with Flores entering the fold. I think that they're going to be a great combo and a lot of upside for Daniil where, you know, people are going to have to open up the checkbook for him uh, next year, assuming he stays healthy. Yes, there's the risk. He walks after this year and you don't get anything for him. Uh, but I think that the reality is, is that you were not going to ever get enough to justify moving him now. You don't want to lock him up uh, to a long-term deal right now, given, you know, Quazy's, uh, you know, approach to things and the injury history. And so this is sort of the best resolution uh, that they could get. And, and kudos to uh, Quazy, frankly, for working themselves into a cap situation where they could figure out how to execute this. Um, given the squeeze they had at the beginning of uh, the league year. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, they just a couple things to wrap up this. Uh, they will get a compensatory pick, you know, if he walks. So they'll get something, uh, probably not much less than they would have gotten if they were able to work out a trade now, because similar to Dalvin, teams knew that the Vikings were maybe looking to deal him, not as much so in Daniil's case, but 28 years old, you're, you're right. You know, they... They had to find a way to keep him if they wanted to take the next step on defense and, and get this defense back at least near the average range, which we've said many times. If they're average on defense, this offense has a chance to be top five in the league. Um, so, you know, they're going to they're going to win a lot of games if the defense gets back up to average. And Daniel Hunter is a huge, huge part of that. Uh, they they at the at the same time. You know, the, the injury history has, has been recent injuries, for sure. Uh, but when he's on the field, he's produced, even even last year, 
when he was playing out of position, he got 10 and a half sacks, you know, and he was standing up in a three, four way more uh, than, than you would like to see. So hopefully he gets his hand in the ground more this year under Flores and, and can flourish. And then, you know, it's good for both sides. You know, you, you, you take a look at it again after the year and, and then he's able to be a free agent after the season as well. So excited to have him back in the fold. And I think Quasi did a good job not settling for some bad trade and just, you know, maybe looking Daniel in the eye and say, we're, we're going to keep you. Let's work this out one way or the other. And, and, uh, and they did. So um, good, good resolution there. I think for both sides, let's move on to, to me, the biggest talker right now around this Vikings team. And that's another contract situation. And it's Kirk cousins. Uh, we talk about Daniel being a free agent after the year, Kirk cousins is going to be a free agent after the year, barring the Vikings and Kirk's camp working something out before the season. I know, Matt, you've been pretty steadfast in believing that they might work something out before the season. But I think, you know, and, and Mike Florio's written about this, and he's always kind of been a little anti-Kirk for my liking, but he's written about kind of, he, he wrote an article on Pro Football Talk saying like a year after uh, running it back, they're tearing it down. I wouldn't go tearing it down. If they were tearing it down, they would have traded Kirk. They would wouldn't have signed Davenport and and made some other additions that they did. Wouldn't have brought in Brian Flores, uh, who may be the biggest top season addition of all. But the fact remains, he's unsigned. And, and I think with the theme of the flexibility moving forward, I think a lot of people believe that they're going to let Kirk walk after the season and then try to move up in an elite QB draft. Not only Caleb Williams and Drake may at the top, presumably next year, but a lot of other quarterbacks, they're saying as many as five or more in the first round. So a lot of people think Vikings let Kirk walk, then move up in the draft next year to get one of those QBs. My issue with that though, is they're too talented to to be in a draft position to actually accomplish that. They're going to be picking I would say, hopefully, and we'll do a win-loss uh, prediction uh, segment here in a little bit. I think they're going to be picking at least in the mid-20s, and that's it's really hard to move up from that spot. And then to, A, do that, and B, identify the right QB. I would love to see them work out something with Kirk Cousins before the season because be careful what you wish for. It is not easy to get a QB of his talent level on the team, a top, you know, I would say, in the seven to 10 QB range. And we both like Kirk to me, it's a little nerve wracking to go into the season with a QB that talented unsigned beyond this year. What do you think? I've been very clear that I would uh, have signed Kirk to an extension earlier this season. I think that the market continues to be reset with new extensions uh, and higher deals that don't play into the Vikings' favor in terms of what um, Kirk's cap hit is going to be. You know, uh, the one exception aside, look at what Aaron Rodgers just did in terms of his restructuring. So, I, you know, I, I'm really not actually that worried that, you know, Kirk is going to demand a, the top-end deal, but it's just every time it resets, that number is going to go up slightly. I, I, I think he wants to be in Minnesota. I think the communication and how he's handled it and by all accounts how Quasi and KOC have handled it you know it's been all 
you know, flowery words and professional. I, I mean, frankly, I, I think anyone who watched the quarterback documentary looks at it and says, has to have a new, new or increased respect for Kirk. I mean, this is a guy yes. who clearly uh, has the right attitude, works his butt off. And, you know, I, I'd say that, you know, the, a lot of the criticism of him is twofold. It's one, he is a normal guy. <laughs> and there's, there's <laughs> a certain, there's a, he is not the, alpha male to a you know screw loose level like so many of the you know a cocky is all get out as some of these quarterbacks are and people kind of resent him for that i'd say the second thing is you know he is not patrick mahomes and the documentary made it very clear he does not have the athleticism of patrick mahomes and so if you think you can go out and get the next patrick mahomes or the small list of quarterbacks that are on in that category you know, a Joe Burrow, a, um, you know, potentially Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, a Justin Herbert. These were all guys. Patrick Mahomes was in those low teens, um, you know, but these other guys were the number one or number two kind of pick. So if you want to get those type of guys, you've got to be willing to go up to number one, number two. And we don't really have the draft capital to do this. And to your point, you, you they're not going to be in the position to uh, you know, that's high enough to be in any any play for one of the top quarterbacks. It's, you know, this is a quarterback league and people are, you know, reaching more and more for these quarterbacks. So it leaves us in a, a very vulnerable situation going forward. I think Kirk's going to crush it this year. A younger complimentary piece to Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison in with uh, Hawkinson for a full year with a consistent offensive coordinator, a consistent line. And I think ultimately it's going to put us in a position where uh, if, you know, we can make any sort of run uh, at, at all that, you know, they're going to have to, you know, pony up more than they might otherwise had to in order to keep them because the alternative is really tearing it down. And this isn't a tear down. As you said, this is a competitive rebuild. Um, you know, in order to uh, sort of tank and, and get move up there. And I'd say the other thing we have to keep in mind is like, so there are, there are, it's way too early with the college season, but if you look at next year's draft, there are two, what most people consider surefire picks in Drake May on North Carolina and your boy, Caleb Williams out of USC. Those guys are gone after one and two. After those first two guys, it's really it's a it's a crapshoot. Yeah, we've got a whole season that could play out and someone could emerge. But, um, you know, you've got to be willing to move up to number one or number two to get the equivalent of a Pat Mahomes, Joe Burrow, uh, you know, a Trevor Lawrence, a Justin Herbert. And they're just not going to have the enough enough ability to do that. So it really leaves them in uh, in between a rock and a hard place about extending Kirk after or taking a big step back and yeah. having no quarterback option. And I, I don't think that's you know, be careful what you wish for fans that, um, you know, are not huge Kirk, Kirk fans. Yep. Yep. Agree with uh, most of that. Uh, I would not put Justin Herbert though, in that class of those other QPs. And there, there's one. Oh, Patrick... he, uh, yeah, well, uh, we'll have no. to save that for another, 
another yeah. debate because I don't I, I think he he is kind of the Kirk in many ways in my opinion where he mm. he puts up great numbers he's more talented than Kirk is with the, as the gunslinger but the defenses he's played with have been horrific but anyway well uh I mean their defense was not bad for most of last year although in the playoffs they had a 27 to nothing lead I believe and, and blew it uh which he's to blame for and their defense is to blame for uh but I, I just don't think I think, yeah, sheer talent, physical ability, absolutely. Our friend Joe Spinoza absolutely loves him. But I I, I don't think he's proven it yet. Uh, and I think he he's not great at going through his reads. Uh, when he's played the Vikings, I've not been too impressed with his play. We'll see. We'll see. He certainly has the physical physical tools. But, yeah, you're right. That's a whole other episode probably if we're doing our QB rankings. But I, I agree with uh, with what you said. There's two surefire quarterbacks. Other than that, we'll see. And look at all the teams who need quarterback. Look, the Vikings aren't bad enough to be in a position to trade up or just land one of them alone. And, and then look at all the teams. I mean, Arizona, who's going to come here for some joint practices in a couple weeks. Arizona has Houston's pick and their own. They may end up with the top two picks or certainly two of the top five picks because they're not going to be good and nor is Houston. Tampa Bay, who the Vikings play week one, has Baker Mayfield. They're they're going to be in line for a quarterback, and you can just list off team after team uh, after team. How about how about our uh, rival, the Bears? Yeah, how about they're, the Bears? And they're going to have Carolina's pick. Yes, and if Fields isn't isn't uh, isn't the answer this year, they may be in line. What about he's garbage? Very clear, Marshall. Justin Fields is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I'm with you there. I'm in a I'm in a, a group text with a couple of Bears fans. Um, good people, but annoying when they talk about the Bears, and uh, they're way too high on Justin Fields. Uh, but yeah, the Bears are one of them. The Green Bay Packers are another one. With with Jordan Love, you know, let's see if he's the answer. If he's not, this is year four for him. They may be in line for a quarterback. You know, a Detroit. If Goff isn't signed long term, they may be in line for a quarterback. And and you can just list almost half the league that might want a quarterback. So it, it's it, the position the Vikings are going to be in, you know, barring massive injury, is not going to be one where they can trade up. So, and I agree with what you said about the QB documentary. That was just outstanding. Uh, if you didn't think uh, Kirk was a great guy before and worked his butt off and is just an absolute warrior, uh, what he the the hits he he endured last year. And kept bouncing back. the 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 episode in the Buffalo game alone was so impressive. I mean, how can you not love this guy and just just want him to win if you're a Vikings fan? So, um, I'm going to enjoy this year with Kirk. Hopefully, it's not the last one for him in a Minnesota Vikings uniform. Let's get to some win loss predictions. We did this last year, where uh, Matt and I go back and forth on each of the 17 regular season games. And uh, while we do that, I write it down and we're not going to say, okay, one and oh, two and oh, after everyone, I'm just going to keep a tally. And then, then at the end, uh, I'll reveal to Matt uh, how many wins he had and how many wins I had. Uh, we'll try not to get uh, caught up counting them along the way and just reveal it at the end. So um, with that, let's go right away into week one. And that is the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers here for a noon game, Sunday, September 10th at U.S. Bank Stadium coming in with Baker Mayfield. Matt, what do you think about that one? I think it's going to be a resounding win 
Uh, you mentioned uh, Baker Mayfield. It's at home. Uh, we saw what Kevin O'Connell can do in week one when he's able to uh, finally implement all the wrinkles and, and the fun play calls, uh, you know, against the Packers last year. Uh, I expect uh, something similar and then some, and I expect a highly motivated Kirk Cousins along with uh, Brian Flores licking his chops to debut the new uh, look Vikings defense. Agreed. Um, I think, I think this is, this is one of their games they have to win this year. They have a very tough schedule, especially early. Got to get this one at home. Uh, Baker early in the year could maybe be a little scary. He, he does have some talent, but I, I don't think, and he does have some talent around him with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but I don't think that team's good enough to come in in week one and beat the Vikings. And like you said, that game last year against the Packers week one might've been the most impressive performance of the season. So I'll go with the Vikings win there. Week number two is at the Philadelphia Eagles for the second straight year. The Vikings go to Philadelphia in week two. Last year, it was Monday night football. This year, it's Thursday night football. Matt, what do you say on that one? Thursday night games are always ugly and a crapshoot. Um, I think the Vikings will be more competitive this year, but I think it's tough to win at Philly. Maybe the best team in the NFC, so I'll go loss. Yeah, I go loss on that one as well. Tough in Philly's home opener. The one caveat I'll say is the Super Bowl loser does traditionally have a hangover, although I think Philly's too talented for that to happen this time around. And um, you, you sometimes get them slow to start the season. But again, the, the, I think the talent is, is overwhelming there. I think it will be a close game as well, but a loss also. Okay, week number three, back home. We mentioned Justin Herbert. Here he is coming to U.S. Bank Stadium week three against the Chargers. What do you think on that one? I think this is going to be a shootout uh, of mediocre defenses and good quarterbacks. Uh, but I will go uh, uh, the Vikings as the more complete team winning. Yeah, I go with the Vikings win as well. Also the return of Eric Hendricks. Um, but I think the Vikings are the slightly better team in that one and uh and they and they pull it out week number four at the carolina panthers hello to old friend adam thielen in that one to me that's another game you have to win will they win uh yes they will i think the uh, carolina i think will be better than some people uh anticipate they're still going to be a mediocre team and uh the vikings are going to win and probably a closer than comfortable game um, as on the road, as these road games uh, tend to be in the NFL. Okay. We're in lockstep so far. Week number five, three twenty-five PM game. This will be the first time ever the Vikings see Patrick Mahomes because when they were in Kansas city four years ago, Mahomes was hurt. I was at that game and the Vikings took a narrow loss right at the wire. Mahomes to us bank stadium. The mid-afternoon primetime game. Matt, how do you see that one? Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs have the best player in the NFL, one of the, already the best players to ever play. Uh, while I think they'll be motivated at the lovely 325 start, uh, it doesn't uh, always go as well for Kirk and the Vikings as we'd like, uh, and I think Kansas City wins. 
Yeah, I think it will be pretty close. Um, two stars of the quarterback documentary because you can't really put Mariota into the into the star status. Unfortunately, he uh, lost his starting job uh, in the middle of that documentary, but did have a uh, a lovely baby girl. So that was the positive for him last year. Uh, but he's in Philadelphia now. But Mahomes and Cousins go at it in this one. And I think uh, the Kansas City firepower offensively. It's only week five, so I'm not sure the Vikings defense will be uh, finely tuned yet under Brian Flores. I think Mahomes edges out Kirk in that one. Week number six at the Chicago Bears. It's a noon start on October 15th, so it shouldn't be too cold in Chicago as it sometimes is. We were there uh, Monday Night Football, I think two years in a row, this time a Sunday noon start. Matt? I think this is a win for the Vikings. Uh, at Chicago is always difficult. But Justin Fields is not a real quarterback, and I think Chicago is in tank mode, and they're not going to, um, you know, I think be very good again uh, this year. And so while the game will be close, uh, because that Soldier Field is always close, I think the Vikings will win. I agree, and I think it's good that it's not a cold-weather game. I think it's good that it's not later in the season. Um and not Monday Night Football. We played there Monday Night Football two years in a row. Granted, won both of those games. But weird stuff tends to happen at Chicago. And I guess maybe less weird stuff will happen when the weather is pretty normal, hopefully, in October. So it should be a pretty nice weather day. And uh, I agree with you on Fields. Not sold on him at all. I don't know if they're going into tank mode. I think they may be trying to win with Fields this year. But if things don't work out, they certainly could be in the market for a QB as we discussed earlier, but I think the Vikings win this game. Uh, moving on to a very intriguing game, the San Francisco 49ers. We have typically played them in San Francisco the past few meetings, including in the playoffs, in that disastrous game after the uh, the win at New Orleans in 2019. But here we get them at home, Monday night football, October 23rd, Big game against San Francisco, and who knows who their QB will be. Will it be Sam Darnold, Brock Purdy, maybe Trey Lance gets in there? Who knows, but uh, certainly a juggernaut of a team uh, these past few years. What do you think about that one? I uh, think that they are a really well-coached team. Uh, they're a very deep team. You know that they. I liked them a lot last year in the playoffs. I agree the quarterback situation is uh, tough. Uh, I, but I just don't love the matchup at this point against the 49ers, so I'm going to go loss. Uh, this will be the first one we disagree. I'm going to go a narrow win in this game. Um, I think having it at home helps, and I, I just don't trust San Francisco's quarterback situation. Darnold could be a good fit for Kyle Shanahan. I think that's a sneaky good move, but Brock Purdy – Still unproven. He had a nice stretch at the end of the year and was decent in the playoffs before he went down. But um, I, I don't think you can rely too heavily on him. They may be looking to try and get Kirk after the season if he does uh, become available. But I, I don't know. I just don't to totally trust San Francisco with the quarterback situation. They are tough up front on both sides of the ball. Their defense is really good. They got the defensive tackle. I think Hargrave is his name from Philadelphia. So th they're going to be awfully stout defensively, but I think this one's a little lower scoring and the Vikings pull it out 
if anything, because it's at home. Um, now, interesting short week at Green Bay the following Sunday. Um, that is October 29th. That's scheduled for a noon contest, so a short week going to Green Bay, not a long trip, but uh, should be a tough game at Lambeau Field. What do you think about that one, Matt? Uh, I think it'll be another uh, tough uh, division game on the road. Uh, but I think that, you know, Kirk has shown he is really good against the Packers and continues to be good. And they've only gotten worse. And without uh, Aaron Rodgers and an, in, an unproven Jordan Love, I like the Vikings uh, chances to win on the road. Yeah, I think it is it is tough because of the short week. Um, but at least it's not a long, a long trip. And also you're coming off a very physical game with San Francisco. I kind of alluded to that just a moment ago. San Francisco really good in the trenches. So they they the Vikings could be beat up going into that game against Green Bay, but I think they do edge it out. Uh but but that one is one I'm certainly nervous about. Week eight at Lambeau Field. And who knows with with love at that point, but I think they'll have enough film on Jordan Love at that point where they should they should pull it out. Uh, week nine, the Vikings travel to Atlanta. Uh, interesting interesting situation there. We had uh, speaking of the quarterback documentary we talked about earlier, Marcus Mariota was there last year as the starter, got uh, got benched mid season for Desmond Ritter, and Ritter is now. Uh, the starting quarterback there, that's another team that could be looking for a QB uh, in the offseason if Ritter proves not to be the answer. But that game's at Atlanta. What do you think about that one? Could be looking for a new QB. Could be looking for a new coach. Arthur Smith definitely on the hot seat. Um, I think Desmond Ritter is going to be a serviceable player in this league. Um, Maybe takes a, a leap forward in year two, uh, but I just don't see them having enough weapons um, or being a, a deep enough team, and I think the the Vikings win. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think Atlanta just does not have the talent to, to compete with the Vikings, so I'll keep this one short. I think the Vikings take care of business. Not a very tough place to play either at Atlanta indoors, should be a lot of Vikings fans making that trip down there for that game. Week 10, Vikings return home after the two straight road games. They host the New Orleans Saints and Derek Carr for the first time uh, seeing him in a Saints uniform for the Vikings. What do you think? Week 10, New Orleans at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, while I like Derek Carr as a very serviceable guy, I uh, just – don't see I see this Saints team as continuing to be a middling team, even with the improvement of Carr at quarterback. I just don't buy uh, the idea that they're going to take a leap forward and um, like the Vikings at home to win. I agree. I agree with you on that one. Uh, New Orleans could be the favorite in a really down division in the NFC South. I mean, I don't see Carolina contending with a rookie QB. We just talked about Atlanta, Tampa Bay. We talked about them earlier. I can see them week one. They could be looking for a new QB after the year. So New Orleans might be the favorite in the division, but considering it's in Minnesota, I think the Vikings take that game. 
Week 11, the Vikings travel to Denver. That is a Sunday night football game in the Mile High City. And another look at Sean Payton, the uh, the anti-Vike, as uh, Paul Allen likes to refer to Sean Payton. We just saw some very interesting comments from him uh, the past few days where he, he called out the previous regime, Nathaniel Hackett, and then Aaron Rodgers responded. Today we're recording this on a Sunday. Aaron Rodgers responded with some uh, biting comments back at Sean Payton, defending his guy, Nathaniel Hackett, who's now the OC for the Jets. Those two teams will meet in October. But the Vikings see Denver week 11. That's November 19th on Sunday Night Football. Matt? I think Sean Payton's going to be a bit of a train wreck in Denver. I think it was an odd choice for him. He might be a good coach as much as we hate him. Um, But I think that this is a bad situation. Uh, I was saying trading for Russell Wilson was a bad trade long, you know, long before he had the bad year last year. He just, anyone who paid any sort of attention to him the last little bit in in, uh, Seattle saw that he was not, both not healthy, but that he was beat up and that he was run down. And so I think that this continues to be a disaster in Denver um, and that Sean Payton's going to wish he had stayed in the booth um, and waited for a better job. Nathaniel Hackett was a disaster as a coach, but I don't know what Sean Payton is doing commenting on that. I think it's just, it proves it's just a distraction. You're seeing pictures of him, you know, doing bong hits. I mean, the, the whole situation, I think by that point, they are going to be um, per- thinking about their own quarterback of the future and the Vikings win this one. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm going to go loss on this one. Um, I do think I, I can't stand Sean Payton, but I do think he'll bring some measure of respectability back to Denver. Obviously outlandish comments, totally out of line. Should you don't say that about a fellow head coach in the national football league, who's proven to be a very good offensive coordinator. Um, and I think he got the job in Denver Hackett. That is primarily because they thought they were going to trade for Rogers. And when that fell apart, they traded for Wilson and we saw the disastrous results, but I do think I, I I'm not convinced Wilson is for sure toast. Although Pete Carroll certainly moved on from him at the right time. And that was a, a great trade for Seattle. I, I do think their defense is okay. Uh, better than okay. Uh, pretty good. And I think Peyton will at least squeeze something out of Wilson. And that's a tough place to play, um, especially on Sunday night football, raucous atmosphere. So I'll, I'll say an L on that one. Um, We move on to another Monday night football game. So the Vikings host two Monday night football games. We talked about San Francisco earlier. This time it's the Chicago bears week 12 on uh, November 27th. That is Thanksgiving weekend. So the Vikings, and their uh, fans will have to wait all uh, Thanksgiving week and uh, then into Monday for that uh, for that Monday nighter against the Bears. Matt, what do you think? I think that this is the game that uh, people start to wonder if the Vikings actually are for real. I think Kirk goes out and this is the game on Monday night, uh, counter to... The storyline that always exists, I think primetime Kirk comes out in the very best way and he destroys the Chicago Bears at home on Monday Night Football. I'm with you. I, I think by that time the Bears are not gonna be uh not gonna be very happy about the season that they're having. Um at home, 
get a nice break after that, after that Sunday night football game. That's a sneaky advantage, by the way, in the schedule that the Vikings have. We talked about earlier their Monday night game that they host San Francisco short week at Green Bay, but it's a short trip. Now you have Sunday night football at Denver. That is normally a really tough turnaround because you get back at two, three in the morning coming back from the, the, the Western or the mountain time zone. Um, but you, you get the advantage of a longer week hosting the bears on Monday night football. So nice break there from the schedule makers. And I think the Vikings take advantage and smoke Chicago for a second time this season. Then the bye week, the bye week is on week 13, week 13 bye. So a late bye, but could prove fruitful if the Vikings are able to have a deep playoff run because you've got five games after the bye. And uh, it's a tough stretch with the exception of the first one. I think the first one is the easiest of the final five. The final four, though, very difficult. But it starts with week 14, Sunday, December 10th, uh, probably the most popular road trip for Vikings fans, and that is at Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders, on Sunday, December 10th, week 14. Matt? I'm going to go with a win. I think, to your point, I think that that is – I think – Oakland, or excuse me, Las Vegas now, uh, is another team that is just not going to be good. Um, I think Devonta Adams is going to want to be is going to be asking to get out uh, from this team by this point, uh, and I think that uh, go in and and win comfortably. Yeah, I'm with you. That that'll be a quasi home game for the Vikings, and uh, coming off the bye. It's nice to have a long road trip out west coming off the bye. Um, I think the Vikings take care of business. The week after that, week 15, it's still to be determined whether that game will be a Sunday or a, a Saturday game. And uh, this is maybe, in my opinion, the toughest game on the schedule at Cincinnati. They usually get it going around this time. Certainly the past couple of years they have with Joe Burrow. And uh, this is this is the start of a tough four-game stretch to close the season. At Cincinnati, week 15. Matt? Uh, I'm actually going to go with a shocker here and um, say it's in a, it, this is the Buffalo game of the season mm. where uh, they find a way to just steal one they have no business winning. And, um, and will lead to an emotional hangover that I'll get to in a second. But I think that this is the game like uh, last year, that um, they just find a way to miraculously win. Yeah, and I'm going to go the other way on this one. Uh, I think Cincinnati, this point in the year, you, you're talking about potentially bad weather, middle of December. You're talking about Joe Burrow getting ready for a playoff matchup. The Buffalo game was a lot earlier in the season, and I think Cincinnati is a more well-rounded team than Buffalo even was, even though people at that point were talking about Buffalo as a Super Bowl favorite, I think that was a little bit of a house of cards. Joe Burrow uh, is on a mission this year after losing to Patrick Mahomes in the AFC title game. He wants to get back to that Super Bowl and beat Mahomes like he did uh, the year before. So um, I think by that point, if, if this game was earlier, maybe, but I think it's, it's too late in the year and you're coming off a, a road trip out West having to go back, uh, into the into the Eastern time zone in Cincinnati, Ohio, really, really tough. And uh, so I think the Vikings dropped that one. They are at home the next week. You you, you kind of uh, 
hinted at a possible hangover, Matt. Uh, this is Christmas Eve against the Detroit Lions. And if that sounds, if Detroit, if it, if it sounds like we haven't talked about Detroit yet, it's because we haven't. Vikings don't see Detroit until the third to last week of the season. Two of the final three are against the Detroit Lions. A lot of drama put into this this uh, stretch here by the schedule makers because the Vikings and Lions should be, according to most, battling neck and neck for the NFC North title. And uh, this is the first matchup between the two, Sunday, Christmas Eve, week 16. Matt, what do you think? Uh, it's shocking that it takes us long to get to Detroit. Uh, it will be interesting to see where both teams are at at this point. If Detroit is, um, you know, hanging with the Vikings in the division uh, or whether all the hype is, um, you know, uh, proves to be fruitless. I'm going to go with a hangover loss here. Um, even though it's at home, even though it's against a division foe, I think they are going to be more talented this year, but I just, I, I, I uh, we have seen the tendency of Vikings to rise up to the competition um, and then lay an egg uh, after that. So I'm going to go with a, um, not a lay an egg here, but with, but with a moderate loss at home. And I'll go the other way on this one. I think at home, it, it, I think it's a huge advantage that in these in these two division games against the Lions in the final three weeks, the first one comes at home because these two teams could very well be tied or or a game apart heading into this one. And to get the first one at home on Christmas Eve, that is a, a noon game, by the way, on Christmas Eve. Um, I, I just think that's a huge, huge advantage for the Vikings. And I think they they take the energy from that crowd. Um, I had them losing to Cincinnati, so uh, I think they bounce back from that Bengals loss with a big win over the Detroit Lions in a close game. Detroit arguably should have beat the Vikings the past two years at U.S. Bank Stadium, but I don't think they get this one either. Uh, we'll see about the one at Detroit um, in uh, in the final week of the season, but I think the Vikings win this one. Second to last game is the Green Bay Packers, and that is New Year's Eve. So the Vikings play at home on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Uh, last year, they uh, they did the same thing, I believe. They they played on uh, on Christmas Eve on Saturday, and then uh, and then and then played at home. I think I think the following week, but. Um, the Saturday, the Saturday Christmas Eve game last year was a, a whiteout game uh, where they walked off on the New York Giants. Um, I'll be to lose in the playoffs to the Giants, but the uh, the Vikings this time, New Year's Eve game against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football. How about that? So you can go to the Vikings game and then quickly get to wherever you want to go to watch the ball drop uh, for for New Year's Eve. Pretty fun night at U.S. Bank Stadium. What do you think about the game, Matt? I think they will be ringing in the new year in celebratory fashion of by not only winning, but I think that this will be the division clincher uh, mm. uh, on New Year's Eve. Okay. And then it ends at the Detroit Lions. Uh, still don't know if, uh, if that will be, still don't know the time of the game on that one. Uh, they don't even have a, a date for the game. Um, I guess some could be on Saturday, that final week. Uh, but we'll see. Week 18 at Detroit. What do you think? 
I'm going to go with a loss because I have a feeling that Detroit is going to be fighting for a wild card spot, that the Vikings are going to find themselves in a similar place to last season where they can't get the bye in the number one seed. They've already locked up the division and that this is, you know, about getting some good reps in, but getting out healthy. Um, and who cares about, you know, locking your division rival out, um, you know, by uh, putting it all on the line. So I will go loss. Yeah, I'll go loss as well. I just think they'll they'll split with Detroit. I can't have them going um, undefeated in the division. I think that game at Green Bay earlier in the year, I think, is, is a tough one on a short week at Lambeau Field. But uh, shouldn't be too much weather in that one late October. But I guess we'll see. But this one, obviously, no weather at Detroit indoors. But uh, I think similar situation. This could be for the division, but I think the Vikings lock it up. But I, I agree with you. Probably the week before, Detroit is either playing for a, a wild card or just trying to get a, a last second win, maybe adjust the Vikings' seating. Um, so hard to predict that final week, but I think Detroit will be will be fighting for that playoff spot and uh, to ensure they get in. They, uh, they play all their starters. The Vikings maybe don't, and Detroit wins. So uh, I have tallied up our predictions, Matt, and uh, we both landed on the same number of victories for the Vikings, and that is 12 victories. 12 victories for the Minnesota Vikings after a 13-4 and four season last year. We both have them going 12-5. and five. I think I did this uh, a few uh, a few months ago uh, after the draft and I had them at 11th, but maybe I'm just happy because Daniil Hunter is back in the fold officially uh, and, and we're into training camp now, but I have them at 12. You have them at 12. Um, I think even though they'll win fewer games, I could very easily see, you know, 10 or 11 wins as well. But I think no matter what, even if they win fewer than 13 last that they, they did last year, they're a better, more well-rounded team. I think offensively, second year in the system with Kevin O'Connell is huge. Losing the big play ability of Dalvin Cook hurts, but I think uh, Josh Oliver and that run, uh, the big blocking tight end with the with the uh, multiple running backs being filtered in, I think overall running game will improve. Better emphasis on it, and I think just second year in the system, Kirk will absolutely dominate. And with Brian Flores and some young guys stepping up on defense. I think that defense takes a step at least to around the 20th range. I mean, I ideally they're more near average, but I think that's a tough ask going from second worst or, or worst in the league to, to average. But if they're around the 20 range, I think this team is going to be awfully dangerous. I agree with everything you said. I think it is going to be a better team overall, a more well-rounded team. I think the defense will will be better. It has to be. It can't be worse. Um, and I think that that is the Flores effect as well as shedding some, um, you know, once great Vikings that just no longer fit the scheme um, and had lost a step. I think the offense takes a, uh, a, also a decent-sized leap forward. Um, I think the run game's better. The scheme is better. I think O'Connell is better as a second-year coach. I think you just are going to not have all the close games go your way like you did last year and just with the schedule the way it is. But I think they're also going to have more wins this year where they win by more than eight points. Yes. I, 
I think that that's where you will see the more well-roundedness come out, even though there will be games that they lose, you know, that it just happens. So I'm with you. I could really obviously picked a huge upset in the at Cincy late. I, you know, you could easily see 10, 11 wins. Um, I, I, I do think they win the division. I, I think Detroit is potentially a, a wild card uh, playoff team and, and could give them a run. But I think it is also still overstated just how improved Detroit is. And their draft was actually not very good. I mean, they overreached on a lot of players on top of it. So I just, um, I believe in Kirk. I believe in O'Connell. I believe in, in Kwesi and what he's trying to do, uh, even if I don't agree with every single move. And I think that it's going to come together. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on Detroit. Uh, they definitely reached on Gibbs, although he could be a very good running back for them. Um, so I, I think Detroit will compete. I think what people are underselling is how tough it is to be the hunted rather than the hunter and to have a bullseye on your back. They have not been in that situation really in our lifetimes. I mean, they, they have not been in a situation like this in a long, long time. And Dan Campbell, I really like him. He's tough not to like, but it's a different mentality and they do have a fairly manageable schedule. Uh, there are three games that are different from the Vikings really give them the edge. I would say in, in all three, that's what people don't realize. Only three games are different. It used to be two between division foes. Now with that extra game, uh, the 17 games, it's three different games. So if you look at the ones that are different in the NFC West, instead of playing San Francisco, they play Seattle. Well, I mean, that's not for sure an advantage to Detroit. I mean, Seattle was a good team last year, and with the QB uncertainty in San Francisco, that could be a, a toss-up in terms of the difficulty of those of those two games, although I'd say San Francisco's a little bit tougher than Seattle. And then you have in the East, Detroit faces Dallas, the Vikings face Philly. I think Dallas could be pretty good. That defense with Micah Parsons, certainly they dismantled the Vikings last year at U.S. Bank Stadium. Philly is better than Dallas on paper, but I think that could be a tough game for Detroit. And then their third, their third different game would be in the NFC or in the, the AFC North. They play Baltimore. We play Cincinnati, Baltimore, you know, they read up with Lamar Jackson. I think he's very overrated, not a huge Lamar guy, but still very talented. Um, and, and, and Baltimore always gives you a tough game. So like, those are the three different games. Yeah, you would probably say all three are slightly tougher on the Vikings side. Um, but I think you can make an argument. Those three are tough, tough games for Detroit as well. I think you're totally right. I think the other thing is, I think the, the games, it, it is tough for Detroit in that they don't get the opportunity to put the pressure on the Vikings earlier in the season. They're going to have to close you know, really late. And if, you know, it, it would help them a lot in terms of gaining momentum and gaining confidence if they knock off the defending uh, division champ earlier in the season. Yeah. But when it's so Vikings might already be firing on all cylinders and, and they might be too far behind. I'd say the other thing to your point about Dan Campbell, and you know, I'm a huge Dan Campbell fan. I think he is just one of those great moments. He has shown 
that there is still a lot to be desired as an in-game coach at the end of games. And he has blown games multiple times at the end of this at the end of the game with his clock management with his decision making and I think there are going to be more of those this year he'll get better still at that but like it just there's a pattern of behavior there in in in-game coaching that tells me that they're likely to repeat those mistakes and lose a few that they should win as a result yep yep I agree with that and the fact that that first matchup between the Vikings is at U.S. Bank Stadium is also a significant disadvantage for Detroit by the time we get to week 18 in that game at Ford Field, the Vikings may have already clinched the division. So to not get the home game against the Vikings until the last game of the season, another disadvantage, I think, for Detroit. Unless the division comes down to that game, then it is an advantage to have that home game be the final one of the regular season. All right, we are going to move on to a couple of breakout players on each side of the ball for the Vikings. I'll do two on offense. Matt will do two. Then we'll do two on defense uh, a piece as well. I'm going to start on, and these are breakout players. These are not Justin Jefferson doesn't count for this. Kirk cousins doesn't count for this. We're talking about breakout guys. And I think number one on offense for me is Josh Oliver, the tight end, the free agent signing from Baltimore. People are raving about this guy already early in camp. He's huge. He's jacked. And the Vikings are going to go with some 12 personnel, I think, with TJ Hawkinson and Josh Oliver. Uh, Oliver is a better pass catcher than than people give him credit for. He just didn't do a lot of it in Baltimore. But when he did, he was very effective. He's fast with the ball in his hands. But what he's known for, uh, by all accounts, is being the best blocking tight end in the National Football League. And the Vikings need to be more efficient in the running game I think they'll they'll run it downhill a lot, and they'll rotate running backs kind of like Philadelphia does. You'll see a lot of Alexander Madison, the bruiser, but you'll also see the speedster Ty Chandler, who could catch the ball very effectively when he was at North Carolina. This will be his first chance playing in his second year in the NFL. We didn't see him on the field last year. And then you have uh, Dwayne McBride as well, the seventh rounder who they're very high on, and maybe we'll see Kenny Wangwu work his way onto the field. So I think there's four guys who you, you could see that third job uh, could be a fight between Wang Wu and the rookie McBride, but I, I think they're going to rotate in running backs and Josh Oliver is going to be a big, big addition to this offense. And then the second guy, I have to go with my boy, Jordan Madison out of USC, the first round pick. He's shifty. His route running is outstanding. He comes off the line fast. He's got great hands. He can get open and he's going to get premier matchup. Uh, he's, he's going to get premier matchups. Uh, when you talk about Justin Jefferson on one side, TJ Hawkinson on the field as well, Jordan Addison is going to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one coverage, and he's going to make teams pay because he knows how to run routes and get open. It's, he doesn't have top-end speed, although once he gets the ball in his hands, he's faster than his times look. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a breakout star as a rookie and and he really doesn't have to do that much to give the Vikings another weapon on the other side of Justin Jefferson add in TJ Hawkinson. And I think that's a big reason why the offense is better because of those two guys, Josh Oliver and Jordan Addison. I agree completely with you on Addison. 
I think it's a home run pick. I think uh, that he is just is a really talented player. I think anyone who can be opposite uh, Justin Jefferson obviously has a great opportunity. Um, you know, and I think that he's going to be a quick learner and they're going to find ways to really uh, get him involved. And so I think he's going to, you know, I think it's, you know, there's a very good chance that he could be the offensive rookie of the year. I, I really think that he is, you know, that talented and in such a good situation that it could, uh, you know, really uh, end up in a good place. I like the Josh Oliver pick. I will also say as a side note, I'm not picking this because you know, he's already established, but I think TJ Hawkinson is going to establish himself as the clear number three best tight end in the league. Um, that I think he's just going to have such a, a great rapport uh, with Kirk and then, you know, with Addison, with KJ and with uh, JJ uh, and mixing in Oliver, I think I, th- I could just see him really getting a lot of targets as we saw towards the end of the year and really um, just clicking well. Uh, the other one I, I'm going to go with is uh, is Ty Chandler. I think that, you know, they obviously have Madison. They've, they've signed him to be, you know, the number one guy, but it's very clear that they like Chandler. They were okay with Dalvin walking as a result um, of the, the depth that they have. And there's, I just think that he is going to emerge as a serious weapon. Um, I don't think he's going to necessarily be the number one, but I think that it is going to be a, a co-running back uh, situation uh, that he really breaks out and does a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. Kevin O'Connell's very high on him. I will say uh, a couple of things. One, good point on TJ Hawkinson, and the fact that he's here for the entire offseason is huge. He came in in the middle of the season, learned the playbook very well. That first game at Washington, Kirk was looking his way quite often, double-digit targets in that game. But to come in mid-year is really tough, and now he's really got a grasp of the system. Heard an interview with him today where he just feels more comfortable. He knows where to go in Minnesota, knows his way around the city, and more importantly, knows his way around the playbook. And I think having him from week one on is going to be huge. And I will disagree slightly on Addison being offensive rookie of the year. I'm not sure he'll have enough targets to be offensive rookie of the year. If that's the case, I think it could be because, you know, something catastrophic would happen with Justin Jefferson or, or TJ Hawkinson. I just don't think uh, he'll quite have enough targets. He he could be the number two target, probably more likely early on TJ Hawkinson is though. And I just don't think that he'll have enough targets, especially early on to be the offensive rookie of the year. But uh, if he is and everyone's healthy, then you're looking at uh, like one of the top three offenses maybe in the, in the entire national football league. And I already think they were top 10 last year. They have a good chance of being top five this year, but I'm not sure I would go with offensive rookie of the year for Addison. Moving on to a couple defensive breakout players on that side of the ball. We, uh, we touched on the offense now for the defense. And uh, this is this is a little tougher because there's not a lot of there, there are more people to choose from because of all the departures um, on on the defensive side of the ball. Eric Kendricks, Patrick Peterson, uh, Zadarius Smith, just to name a few. And you have some some guys who are in their second year who really didn't play a lot in year one, like Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth, or Caleb Evans. Uh, that draft class, big year for them. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. 
I will go with uh, one of the members of that draft class for my first breakout guy on defense, and that is Brian Asamoah. Brian Asamoah is is like a lightning bolt. I mean, he is just all over the field. He's already taken a leadership role, um, according to a lot of people, even coming into his second year. And I think he's gonna get he's gonna see more time on the field. Uh, he had a a brilliant strip and fumble recovery in a game late last year. And uh, I think Asamoa with the energy, the the athleticism in Brian Flores' scheme, he's going to move all over the field. Um, he plays kind of a, uh, as Paul Allen and Eric Nordquist on KFAN have called it, a hybrid 3-4 with floaters. And I think Brian Asamoa could be one of those floaters. So, so could Jay Ward, a rookie from LSU. But I think I'm going to go with Asamoa, uh, who will start at linebacker next to Jordan Hicks as uh, my first breakout guy on defense. For the second one, it's tougher. I, I considered Dean Lowry, the uh, defensive lineman they signed from Green Bay, who will be a defensive end in the system and, and is very good against the run and provides a little bit of pass rush as well. I think he'll be good. Um, I think a lot of people are going with Josh Metellus. Uh, we'll see if he starts next to next to Harrison Smith or whether it's Cam Bynum or even Lewis Seen um, as, as well. And uh, Lewis Seen, by all accounts, back to back to full health. Um, should be fun to watch him play with his athleticism coming off that gruesome leg injury in London. Uh, but I'm going to go with for the for the second one, a Caleb Evans. I really liked the cornerback in his second year. I really liked what I saw from him in limited action last year. The Washington game in particular, where he got a chance to start with the big long arms, knocking away passes. Um, he's got the athleticism. Had the concussion problems last year but I think he's going to see a lot of playing time. Uh, you might see in the base defense, you might see Byron Murphy on the outside, along with maybe Joan Williams. Joan Williams, a, a guy they signed from New England. He's a potential breakout guy as well. Big, long arms, long legs, just, uh, just a huge, huge corner. Evans isn't quite as big, but he is big. And I think when even if, even if it's Byron Murphy and Joan Williams on the outside, I think Murphy moves inside the nickel on those downs and a Caleb Evans comes into the game. I think he'll outdo Andrew Booth Jr. I'm still worried about Booth's, Booth Jr.'s injury injury history. Um, and I think Evans just looks like he looked like it came. The game came a little more naturally to him when he was on the field last year. Um, so I'm going to go with a Caleb Evans as the second breakout guy next to Brian Asamoa two second year guys out of that draft class that was a little underwhelming in year one. What do you say for the uh, breakout guys on defense, Matt? I agree that you could see this going a number of different ways. And, um, you know, you know, Marcus Davenport seems like that's not really a breakout guy since he was one of your larger free agent targets. Um, you know, I know it's only a one-year deal. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of talent, so I, I, I do want to, um, you know, just acknowledge. I think that he's he's gonna have a good season. I agree on Asamoa. Um, you know, I, I think that he's just such a, a great athlete that really fits uh, Brian Flores' system. So I have him uh, as my, uh, you know, number one guy. I was tempted to go um, with Lewisine. 
I just he seems to fit what Flores wants from the safety position uh, with his athleticism, um, you know, just assuming he's completely healthy and stays healthy. Um, I, I like the Caleb Evans, uh, you know, pick as well, but I am going to go with Dean Lowry. I think that, you know, while it could be a number of guys on the D line and very, you know, much a platoon situation, uh, you know, I think that it's these other guys that are paired, you know, with, you know, a Hunter and a Davenport and an Asimo. When you have those three guys, you know, really sort of coming into their own, I think it leaves lots of opportunities for other guys along the D-line to step up and clean clean up. And I think um, I think Harrison Phillips is going to have another solid year, but I think Dean Lowry is the one that's going to surprise uh, and be, uh, you know, a solid uh, contributor in the to stop the run um, and bring some some solid uh, uh, pass rush uh, and take advantage of the fact that everyone's paying attention to all the different blitzers, um, you know. And I do think Harrison Smith, you know, is going to cement his status as a future Hall of Famer on this, uh, you know, with this year work being with Flores. I think it's going to be, you know, even though he still lost a step, I think he's just so perfect for, you know, how Flores wants this defense to work. Uh, that it, it, I think that it, that's really going to open up some opportunities from those guys like Dean Lowry on the defensive line. I like that. I, I like that a lot. I heard somebody say the, the other day um, that Harrison Smith could have five-plus sacks this year, and I would not be surprised by that at all. We've seen his propensity as a blitzer. He, he's very, very good as a blitzer. So um, I think that's good. I think Dean Lowry, it's really nice not to have him on Green Bay. He he oftentimes killed the Minnesota Vikings. Um, so it's nice to get him over from, from the state of Wisconsin um, onto that Vikings D line and hopefully wreaking havoc on Jordan Love and all the other quarterbacks he sees this season. Um, I think two guys to watch with the floaters would be Josh Metellus and Jay Ward. Uh, Metellus, was named a captain at one point last season and nobody was more thankful for that, uh, that I've ever seen than Josh Metellus. So, uh, he, he's a leader on the team and he plays with a lot of energy, maximizes his potential, very smart guy from the university of Michigan. And then Jay Ward, the safety from LSU, kind of a safety corner hybrid, big, long, lanky guy. And, uh, I think you'll see him floating around, certainly playing on special teams, but he hits hard. And you mentioned Lewis seen, uh, he hits hard as well. So uh, I like both of those guys roaming in the uh, defensive backfield for the Vikings. And you might see some rotating safeties as well, some three safety looks. Very excited to see what Brian Flores brings to the table in year number one. Might be his only year <laughs> if he has a good year uh, coaching the, the or coordinating the Minnesota Vikings defense. We may see him getting a head coaching job after the season. But I guess that would be a good sign if that happens uh, in terms of how the Vikings defense performs. Matt, let's move on uh, quickly to the Minnesota Twins. Little Twins talk here. Have to do it as we uh, as we head into the trade deadline. That is Tuesday, August 1st. Used to be July 31st, but August 1st, now the trade deadline. I think that's 3 p.m. Central. Um, but, uh, boy, uh, we're talking here on a Sunday after the Twins just got swept by the worst team in baseball in the Kansas City Royals. Uh, just a, a, a horrible series for the twins after they came out of the all-star break nine and two hottest team in baseball. They, uh, 
They have now dropped five in a row as we talk here on Sunday. They have an off day Monday and then the trade deadline Tuesday. Uh, but just a disastrous weekend for the Twins. And and now a lot of people saying, well, what do they do at the trade deadline? What do you think uh, after after this weekend series against the Royals? Uh, I know that you are supposed to always try and strike when you are a playoff caliber team because you never know what happens and i do think that if not player playoff caliber i think that by the nature of the division and how bad it is i still think the twins are the most talented and likely to make the playoffs uh by winning the division i think cleveland could still always hang in there and sneak up on them and do it but i think this is one of the least inspiring teams um that was also still in the playoff hunt that I can think of. I would stand pat. I would not trade. Um, I, I, you know, to, to get the big bat that they need to get the, the number one starter that they need. I just don't believe that this team is going anywhere. And I think what you would have to give up um, would just be too much in order to get players that are not going to help you get out of, you know, ultimately help this team get out of the first round of the playoffs. I think that this team is a, a little bit of a crossroads. You know my view on this in terms of there are some some veterans who've been around for a while that need to just you know be moved on, and these young guys need to you need to keep bringing these young guys up. I know you need leadership in the clubhouse and more experienced guys. But I just I do not like the makeup of this team. I find it completely uninspiring, and I just can't get excited about making big moves, giving up big prospects to not do anything in the playoffs. And that's what I think is in the future for this team. Yeah, uninspiring would probably be the word for the team. I mean, they've had this weak division. Uh, in their grasp all year and they just have not been able to put any separation between themselves and Cleveland. It got to four games. And when it got to four, I, I thought maybe, maybe they were about to take off and really separate from Cleveland and show that they are clearly going to win this division. That has not happened. Uh, the, the interesting thing is too, you get into September and we saw this last year. Now, granted last year, Byron Buxton was, was really, uh, carrying them in large parts offensively. And then he got hurt in September. He was already hurt with the knee. They were trying to keep him healthy, you know, DHing him, not playing him in center field every day, giving him, giving him off days every so often this year, obviously he's been DH all year, but, but last year he was more, uh, he was a more vital part of the offense than he is this year. Um, and then he hurt his hip in September, missed the entire month and the twins fell like a rock and Cleveland ascended. So you, you had the Twins with one of the worst records in baseball, Cleveland with one of the best. Cleveland was the youngest team in baseball last year, and they surged to the division title, even though they were tied with the Twins in early September, and then ended up beating the Twins by double-digit games for the division. So that's how well Cleveland played, how poorly the Twins played in September. And I always get a little nervous if, if the margin is tight heading into September, Terry Francona knows how to win in the month of September. And uh, so did the Cleveland Guardians, and they've had good success head-to-head -head against the Twins. 
and they still have two more series remaining. Um, and not just had to add this year over the course of the past few years. I will say though, Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie are both on the 60 day IL their top two pitchers. So they're going with a lot of young pitchers, but I, I, so I agree with you. The twins are the most talented team in the division. And I made a slight error. Uh, the Royals are the second worst team in baseball. Oakland is the worst team in baseball um, after, after this weekend record wise. Um, I believe that's the case. So, but, but I actually would try to make some moves. Um, they, they, they wouldn't be major moves, uh, but I think you can, you can get a right-handed bat um, and you can try to get a, uh, an arm in the bullpen. Um, and the reason I would make those moves is because unlike past years, the twins, I, and I don't think they're, bound for a playoff run or anything like that. But I do think they have the starting pitching to compete in the postseason, and they have the back end of the bullpen to compete in the postseason with Jax and Duran. So you get one more bullpen arm and they should have uh, Brock Stewart and Caleb Thielbar returning soon. So that will help as well. Although Thielbar hasn't been himself all year and has been hurt a lot of the year. Stewart will be coming off a significant injury, but it was lights out for them prior to that for the most part. So, so those two returning help, I think offensively, Jorge Polanco just returned. Royce Lewis should return fairly soon, although Kirilov went on the IL with a shoulder injury uh, this past weekend. So, you know, just as guys are getting healthy, more guys are getting hurt. That's just kind of been the story of the year in the past few years for the Twins. But I think because of the starting pitching, you give yourselves a shot in the postseason. Pablo Lopez has been you know, underwhelming at times, obviously the trade for a rise, we could go into that. We both didn't like that. And I'm a huge Luis, Luis Arise fan. He might hit 400 this year, certainly in the upper three hundreds and win another batting title. Um, won it in the AL last year, probably will win it in the NL this year. Uh, but, but Pablo Lopez is talented and has had some good moments here as of late. Sonny Gray has had a very solid year. He's regressed lately. It's had as has Joe Ryan, but you, you take those three, that's pretty good. Bailey Ober, last start against the Royals, was not good. But he's been probably your most steady starter throughout the year. And then Kenta Maeda has been very good since coming back from the injured list. And you only need three of those in a best-of-three series. You use the other two potentially in relief. And then if you get into the best-of-five, if you're able to win that series, you know you go to a four-man rotation, use the fifth guy out of the bullpen. They've got some arms. So the, the offense makes me worried because they are very much home runner bust. Uh, the approach at the plate has been mostly disastrous all season. Uh, you have had Edward Julian and Alex Kirilov carry the offense since the all-star break. It's been better. Pitching has regressed, but the offense has been better. Julian and Kirilov, two very exciting young, young players. Carlos Correa has been better out of the leadoff spot. Byron Buxton, really, aside from a couple flashes, the two-homer game, then he had a a, a couple good games against the Kansas City Royals this past weekend, but uh, he he still has a lot to show before I'm convinced that he has turned his season around. Still think he's got to be hurting if they're still DHing him at this point. When the original plan was to DH him for a couple weeks, and he's still DHing, hasn't played a single game in center field. But the approach at the plate overall by the Twins is just not there. They don't they don't move guys. They're relying on the home run. Uh, you know, man on second, nobody out. They don't move him to third. They don't get them in from third with one out, you know, simple things like that. 
And uh, the, the execution is just not there. Way too many strikeouts, way, way too many strikeouts. Um, and that, that'll doom you in the postseason. So worried about that, but I, I would try to get a, a one arm and one bat. I don't think you need to break the bank. Um, and, and one thing that does worry me is, uh, is that they traded – one thing that will make it hard to do that is they traded a lot of solid prospects last year to get Jorge Lopez. We saw them trade Yanir Cano, but the real prospect in that trade was a left-handed pitcher by the name of Cade Povich, who's doing very well in the upper minors for the Orioles. And then uh, for, for Cincinnati, uh, that, that trade with Tyler Malley, which was even worse than the Lopez trade – you certainly have Spencer Steer, who's played well with Cincinnati this year. Um, Encarnacion, Christian Encarnacion Strand, two two bats that could certainly help the Minnesota Twins right now. Two right-handed power bats. Um, so that wasn't good either. Um, so you know you've had some good trades with Joe Ryan, uh, certainly, but uh, but this one or those those two trades did not work out well, and they gave up a lot of prospect capital last year. So they still do have prospect capital, but I'm not. I agree with you. I'm not trading guys like guys like Brooks Lee or, you know, Jordan Belazovic who just came up and is pitching out of the bullpen right now for the twins. They've got, uh, they've got some other, some other uh, Rodriguez is a uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez. I think his name is great outfield prospect. So, and Brooks Lee uh, should be up in triple a soon, the shortstop prospect. So they, they've got some good top end prospects. I wouldn't give up any of those guys, but if you can find a way to a right-handed bat and an arm in the back end of that bullpen, I would do it because of the pitching staff. And you, you have a chance when you have a pitching staff like the Twins do in the postseason, despite the playoff uh, failures of the past. Sorry, that was a long and winding rant. Not not a rant. A long and winding. No, uh, I no long, I, long and winding diatribe. <laughs> I would just end by saying, you know, I the, I do think the pitching is better this year than it's had. But I don't think that they have won the in order to win in the playoffs. And I would say that I will say that I think this front office does need to. I think their jobs are on the line. Uh, or if they aren't, they should be with how things have worked out. So I think they will make trades because they they need to. Um you know, uh, but Rocco's job is certainly on, on the line. Um, but to me, I, I, I don't know how, um, you know, Rocco can be the fall guy for a front office that, you know, give him credit for trying to make moves um, as you listed, but they just have been moves that, you know, most of the time have not worked out. Yeah. Cannot deny that. There's cer certainly a lot to be determined here in the final two months of the year. If they make the playoffs, uh, certainly, got to see them got to see them it, it, it's crazy how low the bar how much the bar has been lowered i've talked to many people over the course of the past few weeks who said oh just, just let's just win one game you know let's just win one playoff game and and break the streak i mean that that should not be the bar i know they've lost 18 and 18 straight playoff games saw a graphic the other day that was just depressing on twitter when it showed the last uh, the year each team in baseball has won its last playoff game. The Twins was 0-4. The, the other longest streak was the Angels, and that was 0-9. So if you had gone with the Mariners uh, last year before they got in and won a game last year, it would have been 0-1. But the Twins, 
five years longer than the next closest team in terms of winning a playoff game. So the bar has been lowered, but to me, it, it, it shouldn't just be getting in. It should be at least advancing out of that first round best of three, but uh, final thoughts. I, uh, yeah, I'm just not optimistic. Unfortunately, I think that uh, tier, uh, there are a lot of issues, uh, but I agree. Uh, we've got to expect better than what we've gotten so far this year and in the playoffs. No doubt about it. Hopefully they get there. Uh, trade deadline Tuesday, August 1st, and then uh, two months uh, sprint to the finish and hopefully some playoff baseball for the Minnesota Twins. That'll do it for the Marsh and Matt show today. Good to be back, and we'll hope to have another episode for you soon. For Matt Galvan, I'm Marshall Kellner. We will talk to you later. Bye-bye.